0: Um, did uh, did anybody get any sleep last night? <clears throat> anybody watch the Cardinal game last night? Isn't that bizarre? <laughs> anyway, um, moving on. Sorry you're not excited. Some of you are. and You're just like... Um, so uh, I want to just say a praise. Yesterday we had a a rummage sale for the organization that we've started, I Heart North County, and we raised $1,250 that's going to go back into the community. Um, and so, and it was awesome, just, I mean, several of us as leadership just kind of conversated about yesterday, and so many of you were there, and serving, and investing, and just loving on those that wouldn't take, you know, didn't really want to give much, but wanted to, you know. Give some pennies for their stuff, and just like whatever, you know, we're we're here to not to make money, but to just love on people. And so, and just a great day yesterday. Thanks for all that served. Um, this morning, um, yeah, you know, it's just going to be incredibly practical because here's what we're going to do: um, turn to Colossians three, and we're going to walk through eighteen through uh, four one, and we're going to look at s- there, there's seven relationships. Um, that that are dealt with in in the passage uh, actually leading to 4-6. We're only going to deal with six of them. And then next week, um, uh, Rick's going to deal with the final one. And so, um, if you're familiar with what's been happening in in Colossians 3, um, we're talking about how our identity is shaped in the fact that our life is hidden with Christ in God. That is, as God's people, that as Christians... Our life is hidden under the protection, under the saving work of of Christ. And that that gives us an identity and begins to shape who we are and how we live. And then the passage goes on to talk about, in light of that identity, here's how the flesh is going to try to creep up on you. And here's how you fight that and how you put that to death. And then it goes in and talks about, and these are the virtues that are lived out, that out of our identity flow um, as the people of God, and then in the section that we're going to work through today, we're looking at several different relationships and how, how we're called to embody the gospel in those relationships. Now, what I want you to see as we walk through Colossians three eighteen through 4, 1, is I want you to see that as we talk about wives, as we talk about husbands, children, fathers, employees, employers, all of these things are, are a calling for you. When we're saved into the kingdom of God, we're given an identity that we're to live out in the context and in the calling that God's given us. For some of you, that's as a wife. For some of you, that's as a husband. For some of you, that's in the workplace, and so on and so forth. And so, not only that, this morning, as we talk through each one of those, a different individual is going to come up and just share how they're trying to work that out. Um, and here's what I want to tell you up front, is you're going to, the people that are coming up to talk, uh, I'm going to tell you what they're going to say initially. They're going to say, I don't do this well. I don't do this perfectly. So the people that are coming up aren't coming up to be like, I'm the poster child for submission, or for not being harsh with my kids, you know, like, no. Um, We're going to see people that are struggling, and working, and trying to live out the gospel in the calling on, on them. And so, um the first one is wife and i thought it'd maybe be fitting for my wife to come up and for us to dialogue a bit in front of you and talk about you can come up um talk about this look down at colossians 3 verse 18 here's what it says wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the lord now, for us, this has been, a, this has been a, a journey. We've been married nine and a half years. And for us to navigate through what it looks like for um, me to lead in who I am and her to walk in submission and who she is, because when we read this text, we think of the relationships that are like, the husband is a dominant voice, the husband has a dominant opinion, and the wife doesn't. Okay, that, for those of you that know us, you see you're laughing. Okay, I, I don't have a ton of opinions. I don't have a ton to say, except when you can give me a mic. Okay, and then, okay, my wife, on the other hand, is in, incredibly gifted with vision and passion and has thoughts on anything and everything. And I'm, you know, you guys are laughing, and that's like, and I love her for it, and it's, it's incredible, and it's fantastic. Um, and so it's, it's been a journey for both of us to figure out, okay, what does this look like? What, what does it look like for us in our marriage to live out the calling? We're going to talk about husbands in a second. I know there's kind of some overlap. To live out the calling um, on our lives, and for her to live out the calling of what it looks like for her to, to submit. What do you feel like that looks like? To submit? Yes.
1: Um, to you? Right? That's where we're going. Um, yes. I think when Dave and I were hashing this out um, last night, and just because I, like he said, most of us are going to come up here and say we don't do this well. And he asked me to do this, and I was like, sure, sure. And that was, like, three or four days ago. And then as it approached, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do this. Like, you want examples. I don't have examples because I don't feel like I do this well. And, you know, just as we, like, hashed this out and we're, we're talking about it, because, like he said, our relationship looks so much different than when, like, of how I view submission because I do – I am outspoken, and I do um, – feel like the Lord gives me visions, and, and and we share in that, but, like, how does that look? And um, we were just trying to figure out some examples, and I think one of the biggest ones that we talked about is looking back throughout our whole, like, past nine years of our marriage and 14, 13 or 14 years of relationship, um, but especially marriage. Um, the Lord's, like, given me a vision first for our family and Him second, and
0: and it's almost right on every time. Like she's like, here's what I think we should do, and I'm like, like fostering and adopting. Like she told me that, like, like six years ago. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And it's what we're walking through now. It's a very commonplace in our marriage.
1: Well, and and I feel like the Lord's done that for twofold because I need I need to know I need to learn what it looks like to be submissive because it's really easy in my flesh for me just to decide I don't need people like and that sounds really harsh but that's just where I am I I grew up and I was one of you know four kids but I was the only girl and I just I was probably the only one my kid my parents would say that like actually was obedient and didn't get into trouble and I just I just became very independent through that and so if I'm not careful, I can live independently of Dave. And so, like, the Lord, because of knowing where my flesh just ends up kind of landing and wanting me to walk in the spirit, has placed me in circumstances that have forced me to have to be still. Like, I've had, I've had a voice to, like, the vision that the Lord has for our family. But four, six years ago, I couldn't have said, Dave, we need to do foster care and adoption or adoption, and said, and we need to start it right now. Like, I had to—my heart had to submit to the way the Lord was going to lead his heart and the timing of that. And so, that's just one. I mean, I was thinking back about several examples. I know when we first got married, I was like, Dave, I think that you're supposed to teach. And he was like, no, nope, nope, not at all. And what happened? Like, he went and taught at a Christian school for five years. And I remember— early on in our marriage, too, I was like, maybe you're, I mean, maybe you're supposed to be like a senior pastor, or like a, you know, not, because he was wondering, do I do youth ministry, all this, and throw out, like, a speaking pastor all the time, you know, and all that. He was like, no, I don't want to do that either, and so just to see where we're at, like, and I don't say that because I, I'm special at all, but that, that's just how the Lord's used our relationship, and my, um, opinions i guess or like just what the spirits reveal to me to allow me to submit to the the timing ultimately i'm submitting to christ and when my heart is submitting to god in that then like it's a lot easier for it to be fleshed out in our relationship because we embody like our marriage is a representation of how christ loves the church and so um i think that's been the biggest way for us and i haven't been perfect at it by any means but um I love God's grace and how He just allows us to grow more in that um, you know, we're nine and a half years in. and I can give you three examples. <laughs> so:
0: We're still still figuring out what it means to, to love the Lord. Um, thanks, babe. Um, submission is, is something that is misconstrued in our society. So submission, submit simply means to place yourself under. Um, and it's a word that's been talked about a ton, but it's, it's, an, it's the ordering of society in which wives align themselves with and respect the leadership of their husbands. And he, here, listen, here's what it is. It's because marriage is, a, is a, a picture of the gospel. It's because as the bride of Christ, the church, us sitting here in this place, we are the bride of Christ and we submit to our husband Jesus Christ. We submit to him. And that's the picture. And um, for us, I I think that the way I describe this is because so often um, submission, what it looks like for me to lead, and we'll talk about husbands in a second, um, it's not like this squashing of my wife and her thoughts and opinions as much as for us, here's how it looks for us, is it's a conversation for us. And for her to, like, man, God's, here's the vision that I feel like God, God's given, and, and for us to begin to relate and to interact and have conversation in the same way that, listen, we engage in relationship with our Savior, with Christ, okay? So me, are there times when I'm like, babe, here's what needs to happen. Here's what I feel like God's leading, and here's how I feel like we need to walk in our family. Yeah, now that doesn't come with, like, just a plain, simple okay oftentimes, um, and in a good way, um, it comes with conversation. It comes with, um, but more than that, here's what it is: is it's as a wife, you're entrusting the care of your family to the man that you've committed to. And listen, it's God's design. Like th- this is God's design. Now, what do you do in the case? where your husband is not walking with the Lord. And it's a struggle, right? Okay? Never, listen closely, never in the scriptures do you see an instance where your obedience is contingent upon the obedience of another. You follow that? Okay, so wives that are sitting in the sound of my voice, and and you're you're wrestling through um, the insufficiencies of your husband, let me just... Point out to you, you have insufficiencies and you're not perfect either. But let me also point out to you, the calling is still the calling. And listen, I want to tell you, as one of your pastors, that we want to walk with you. You need to be in community and you need to be having conversations, healthy conversations with your spouse as to your struggle with maybe how how this looks or how you feel like it should look. Or you need to be having those dialogues and not just holding this grudge in your heart as to who you wish they were or. Or so on and so forth. And listen, wives, you have a call to walk in humility and walk in grace. Period. Period. And more than anything, I tell you something that—that's going to win your husband more than you putting your foot down and being like, "Here's who you're supposed to be," and like, it doesn't it doesn't get get anywhere. Now, husbands. Look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Rick Allen is going to come up and talk for a second about about that.
2: When Dave asked me to do this, I asked him if we could send Kathleen out of the room so I could tell you I have this nailed. And uh, he said no. So... um, I do not have this together, but I can tell you I've seen reality of what God's true God's word says and, and the truth of it in our uh, nearly 40 years together. Uh, a few years ago, Kathleen uh, had uh, breast cancer, and uh, the the chemotherapy completely wiped her out. There were two or three days a week that after she'd have it that. Uh, she was completely dependent, and we, through God's grace, uh, we had friends and family and so forth that rose to the occasion and and helped uh, stand in the gap there. But what I want to say to you is uh, the truth of this. The truth of this. This this verse, verse 19, uh, really hits home. And and um, while I don't don't do this all the time, it it proved in our lives. It proved to me how. Um, uh, being put in a situation where we really had nothing else to turn to but God and no other, uh, no other uh, place to, to to look for strength, that um, her being in the situation of needing me to be caring for all of her needs and not thinking about mine, mine to any degree, and they diminished, we, out of that came the sweetest part of our marriage. And um, I think we both came out of it um, richer for it. And I would like to say that since that time, we went happily happily ever after. That's not the case, but I, I I do know that this is the reality. This not what I do on a daily basis, and and, and fall back into some of my old ways of being selfish and and looking out for number one. But this is the reality of, um, of this Scripture, and um, I, I want to encourage you as, as, as God encourages me in that, that fact, that we have experienced it, and this is true. Thanks.
0: So Paul's addressing this topic because there was a, a tendency in the Roman world for men to rage bitterly against their wives to abuse them physically to abuse them sexually, and that's listen that 's still our culture, like most men are pigs that see women as a tool and as an, an opportunity for them to find fulfillment, period at their own gain, and the calling in as, as men of God who have an identity shaped by a sacrificial Christ is that we give up our rights and just as the text says, we love in humility, in service, and we do not be harsh with them. Now, one of the beautiful things about being a pastor that not just works in the church, but I also work as a high-end artist. I've told you that before. Um, I make sandwiches. And, uh, and so one of the things, I have a lot of conversations with Customers and hear customers' views of, you know, they come in, like, well, the wife sent me in, and I don't know what she wants. And just like, I just want to jump off across the counter and punch the guy in the face, okay? I'll just be honest with you. Um, and then as I talk with different people that I work with and different girls and the guys they're dating and how, they're, who they, how they relate to them, I love, I love challenging all these different individuals' view of the relationships that they're in. And I love... Um, telling them, man, you deserve better. Like, why are you with this moron of a guy who's harsh with you and is pursuing his own gain all the time? Why are you with him? Because the, the calling on us, guys, is to walk in humility, not perfection, do you know how damaging it is? Let me tell you how damaging it is to be harsh with your wife. Okay, so things have been crazy for us, um, Danielle and I, and our family lately. And so I, I had a conversation with her about how I just didn't feel like we were connecting and didn't feel like we were interacting well. I didn't feel like she was really, you know, talking to me as much as I wanted, and she's busy. And, but, but here's how it went down. Like, I was very harsh and rude and, and mean, and like, it was just this argument the other day in our kitchen, and at the end of the conversation, she's just like, I get what you're saying, but the way you went about that does not want to make me go cuddle up on the couch with you. And it, here's the thing, like, and so I'm like, dang it, I said, repent, and like, yeah, you're right, like, I, I, was hard, I was harsh with her. Like, here's what I see, and here's how it needs to be, I don't get why you're not doing that. That's not love. Now, while Maybe the conversation had some validity on some level. The way I went about expressing my genuine desire to foster our relationship and our marriage was not in loving, genuine, humble tone and conversation. It was, it was harsh, and it was mean, and it didn't encourage her heart to be genuine it encouraged her heart to just do it out of obligation. You, like, you see the difference? And listen, like, guys, the husbands, those who are pursuing marriage as husbands, the calling on us is to cherish and treasure, not step on, not abuse, not dominate, to cherish them. Listen, probably like you did when you first started dating them. Right? I mean, how. Why does that stop in, in the marriage relationship? Why do we as husbands stop cherishing them like we did week one in dating? Like, I don't want to screw this up. Treat her like a princess, but all of a sudden, you know, you get the, you know, a couple years in, it's like, you don't do that anymore? That's not the call. That's not what it means for us to walk in love. Because in the gospel, we become husbands who no longer dominate and demean our wives, but we serve and protect and we cherish them. And we treasure them, just like Christ does his bride. Verse 20. Children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this pleases, I'm sorry, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Um, Emily. It's going to be brave and come up and Emily, tell us how old you are. I'm 10 years old. 10 years old. Awesome. Um, can you give us an example of how you try to obey your parents? Speak into the mic for me.
3: Um, by, I guess, listening no matter what.
0: Listening no matter what. So. Okay, that's good. Um, is that always easy? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, so when they tell you to do something... Sometimes it's hard to trust them. Do you, yeah. do you feel like. Do you trust your parents?
3: Sometimes. Sometimes.
0: <laughs> um, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to obey, isn't it? And um, do you think that your mom and dad want what's best for you? You think they care about you? Yeah. And you know that God's called you to obey them, right? And it's hard, and it's a struggle. Anyway, thanks for sharing, Emily. Um, it's hard to get up here and talk in front of people, you know? Thanks for doing that. Um, I memorized this passage growing up. Um, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But to me, it wasn't ever do, it wasn't ever delight, it was duty. Now, I don't know that children ever find delight in obedience. Um, until you, like, become an adult and you get some, some, you know, gospel goggles, some perspective on. I don't know that we ever, as children, see, um, obedience as this delightful thing. Like, so, um, I was horribly rebellious in middle school. Middle school is just a really awkward time for all of us, let's just admit. And so, here's kind of how my rebellion would go down with authority, okay? Um, not specifically related to my parents, but as children, like, we rebel against authority. So, um, we had chapel once a week, and um, I would go to chapel, and um, not only would we count the number of times the speaker said, um, and be like, yeah, 237 today, man, he beat last week. And, you know, and not only would we do that with all of our buddies, but here's what we do. Um, so we... Sorry parents for those that have kids and might try to use this. So we would get our Walkman. me, Okay. Get our Walkman put on our belt. Okay, if you don't know what a Walkman is you can ask me later. Um, I won't be able to explain it. Um, so I'd get my Walkman and then I'd take my, my uh, earbuds and I'd run them up my sleeve and I'd, and I'd have on, you know, long sleeves obviously. And uh, so I'd sit, sit in, in chapel, kind of sitting down, and, and put the earbud right here, and I'd just, I just sit like this, and my sleeve would be up, all the way up, you know, sometimes I'd have a hood, and i maybe put that on, but most of the time the teachers would come, and take your hood off, can't have that, you know, it's ungodly, for some reason, don't understand that, anyway, um, and so I'd sit there in chapel, me and my buddies, like, there were like three of us, <laughs> me and Phil Keller, and Sidney and Thomas, and um, we'd sit there, and uh, we'd, like, listen to music, and, like, we'd try not to, like, you know, make it obvious, and, like, we don't have a clue what was going on. Okay, like as children, it's like if there's a sign that says do not enter, what are you thinking? Like, I'm going through that door. Like, that's how we do it. Like, that's, that's what's innate in us as humanity, as people. Obedience is difficult. But here, in the gospel, our view of authority changed. Okay, because we, we aren't just here to serve and to obey the humans around us as a primary thing. We're here, whether you're 10 or 40 or 6 or whatever age, we're here to obey Christ primarily, first and foremost. So so the gospel is an invitation for us to see authority differently, okay? That authority comes from God to human beings and that we place ourselves under the protection of, Of parents now. Sometimes it's really difficult, kids that are here. Is it difficult to obey your parents and to listen to them? Yeah. Do sometimes you feel like you, like they're an enemy to you? And you're like, no, I would never say that. But no, you do. You know what the Bible says about how we treat our enemies? We love them and we serve them. And kids, you have an unbelievable opportunity be Jesus to your parents, and to help them in their sanctification. Now, I know you do that without even realizing it, but you have an unbelievable opportunity. Um, and even as us as adults that have parents that are still living, to respect them. Now, I'm still, I'm, I'm learning more and more to find value in going to my parents' Going to my dad in particular and being like, Man, here's what I'm going through. Like, what, do you, like, what do you think of this? And, and still trying to put, place myself under him as his child and the fact that he knows me and he raised me and he knows how I'm wired. He knows how I tick and and just begin to learn from him and still honor him. Verse 21. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Um, so I thought it would be appropriate for Rocky to come and give us some insight on Emily's daughter for those that don't know and uh, Rocky talk to us about how you seek to be an encouragement to your kids sure uh, well
3: first of all those of you who aren't parents you miss out one of the greatest discipleship things because as you're being a parent uh, you realize how quickly your bad behavior is emulated, you know. And so uh, you you learn that you know don't do that. That's not good. Uh, so, but uh, one of the things that we, my wife and I, really try to do is is to to understand similar to what you said, Dave, is that this is a role. This is a calling. This is a ministry that we pursue. So everything we do with our children, we do it with the mindset of you know we're raising adults. We're not raising children. Uh, we're trying to bring people to the kingdom. And so um, one of the biggest risks when raising children to get so caught up in the moment that you forget that there's an end game in mind, there's a purpose for everything that's going on. And you get so focused on, oh, you're aggravating me now, so just go away. Just, I I wanna stop the emotion that I'm feeling right now. And you don't think through, what is the process? You know, there's a process, there's an end game in mind one of the old preachers told me one time before, he says, the rules without relationship lead to rebellion. And I think it's such a great fitting thing when it comes to raising children is to understand that in order for us to be able to discipline them like the Father disciplines us, we have to have that kind of relationship with them that they can receive that, that they can hear, and they can understand that there's some level of comfort, there's some level of, of love there. Uh to select me as the person who speaks for this, I think you're, you're, you're a lunatic, you know, uh, so, uh, uh, you. those of you, uh, those of you who know me know my favorite parenting technique is to bring out the taser, you know, so, uh, so, uh, uh, so that's true, so, uh, uh, so, uh, you know, God's been very gracious to us, and we've, we raised up uh, some awesome children simply because we're raising up eventually awesome Christians, you know, and we keep that in mind at all times, you know. As you see, that little girl that just came up there she's a pretty cool kid, you know, and so that's the, the biggest thing is understanding it's, 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 a, it's a goal, you know, a, a ministry that I'm trying to serve, serve my, my king, you know. I'm just a steward, you know. They came from us, but they're not ours, they're his, and we just serve him through them, so. Thank you.
0: So, when the passage says, um, Fathers, do not provoke your children, the word provoke is, is the idea of, of stirring up anger within them. And parents, if, like, you've seen this happen with your kid. When you provoke your kid, you know it, okay? Um, so, it's this idea of stirring up anger, of res- putting resentment in them or bitterness, literally to cause discouragement, to dishearten them to make them ready to give up. And our call as fathers, and even mothers and and parents, our calling is that we might be an encouragement to them. You realize that um, the words that we have can build up or destroy. Okay, and I have have two kids, and they're very different, and one is, um, it doesn't take much to hurt him. And You know, at times I yell, and I hate that I yell. And I can't tell you how many times and how often I have to be so careful because Tobin's heart, it's so, like I can crush him so easily. And we don't realize as parents how our words affect our kids, how our actions affect our kids, how when we're distant and we don't get on the floor and play trains, play swords, don't build forts with them. And when we don't do those things with our kids, I don't care how old they are, how young they are, that we're, we're failing to walk in a, in a way that encourages them and builds them up and lifts them up. I mean, it's unbelievable as we walk through our fostering license and we hear all the different stories of neglect and trauma and abuse that are present in these kids. Simply, well, it's not simple, but it's unbelievable the trauma. Listen, we have the potential to create similar trauma in our homes and how we interact with our kids and the kind of words we use and the kind of tone we use. But we also have an unbelievable opportunity to just like Rocky said, to raise them up, to build them up, to give them an identity in Christ, to establish them in the gospel, to know they're loved and they're treasured. Because listen, fathers, listen very carefully. The way your kids view you, almost all the time, becomes the way they view God. So if you're not relational, if you're not interactive, if you're distant, they assume that's who God is. God's my father. Well, this is my earthly father. That's to mirror my heavenly father. And that's who he is. So that must, that must be who God is. So listen, as you interact with your kids, think about that. You're modeling the father to them. And you have the opportunity to build them up and to encourage them. I love this illustration. They're like wet cement. What do you do with wet, wet cement? You know, like you ride in it. You ride your bike through it. You, know. <laughs> you, you shape it. You mold it into how you want it. What happens when it dries? It's, it's done. Can you change it? Yeah, but you've got to get out the jackhammer. And it's incredibly painful and incredibly hard. Realize, parents, that you're, as you shape your kids, they're like wet cement. And you're molding them and shaping them into who God wants them to be. Verses 22 through 25 say this. Slaves, obey in everything those who are earthly masters, or those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Um, I asked Haley to come up, um, and I'll I'll explain why we go from slaves to what I'm calling employees, so those that work in the workplace as an employee. I'll explain that in a second, but um, Haley, we share uh, where you work and what you do.
4: Yeah, so I work for a technology and management consulting firm. Um, a lot of really intelligent people, but I don't do any of that work. I am in uh, recruiting and, and hiring and part of the hiring process. Um, the majority of my time is spent uh, researching people and getting them into our process, so I spend a lot of time on the Internet, a lot of time searching for people and, and kind of, my boss called me a professional creeper once, so, uh, looking for
0: people, so. <laughs> yes. Can that be a job title, I guess?
5: Don't put that on your resume.
0: No, don't. Um, And how do you seek to um, live out this passage?
4: Um, So there's a... So like I said, my, my job entails a lot of time on the internet. I spend a ton of time researching, and it's really easy to just be like, oh, well, I've got this, this page is loading, let me go check my email, or I wonder what's going on on Facebook, and I wonder what's happening here, and it's really easy to get sidetracked really quickly, um, and and get off focus really quickly. Um, so there's that, that part of it that's seriously just about me being really disciplined with my time, and not, um, and not just just messing around with it, because I have a kind of job that I basically can do from anywhere, and I'm on the internet all the time, like, it's really easy to just kind of slip into the mode of wanting to serve myself and just messing around with my time, um, and the, the kind of, so, the second part of it, as a people pleaser, um, which is, you know, there's a previous people pleaser, like, it, it's also really easy for me to not, um, or to get into a situation where I, I work to um, get my boss's approval. I work to, um, you know, make sure that I'm getting accolades or or what have you instead of just working and doing my best because I know that's what God has me here to be doing um, and to be, you know, diligent and focused. And so um, Amanda and I work really closely together and, and we carpool a lot together. And so um, every, almost every morning we're praying for our day and, and a lot of our prayers are just around diligence and focus because it's, it's really it's really hard. You don't want to do that all the time, um, but but not doing that is giving over to uh, serving ourselves and being more selfish than serving um, serving the Lord or working unto the Lord. So,
0: awesome. Thank you. Thank you. What's interesting is in the passage, all previous relationships that we've mentioned—wife, um, husband, child, children, father—those were ordained before the fall of man, right? These are like God's design, God's intent. We get to a portion that talks about um, something that's been distorted that's not God's design, this idea of slavery that was incredibly present in Paul's day in the Roman Empire, um, and including in Colossae. And really what it was is slaves having these limited rights and subject to exploitation and abuse, and they typically worked for their freedom. And if they even got paid, oftentimes they didn't, If they, they might have got just a little bit. And in, in this passage, Paul's not condoning slavery, but he, here's the, the crazy thing, is, as we think about the gospel, and as we think about who we are and the identity we find in Christ, is that we are no longer people who work for our freedom. We come under a God who worked on our behalf, who gave up his life on our behalf. And so it's why in the, in the, in the scriptures you see verses like Romans 1.1, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, a slave of Christ Jesus, James 1.1, James, a slave of God, 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, Jude 1, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ. And so in Christ, our freedom's been purchased for us. And so now we live out as slaves to our Master Jesus Christ. E- even in, in all contexts, in particular, Paul's addressing the workplace. He's addressing the identity we have as slaves of Christ. And for us, our boss is Him. Like I can't tell you how many times I I don't want to go to work. And in our culture, like how often do I, like, I can't wait till, till Friday and I hate Monday. Like We hate work, right? But in Christ, we find purpose in our identity as he's our boss. Because I don't care who your boss is and how hard he is. Well, I do care and I know that it's difficult. But listen, you don't work for your boss. So when you cut corners, when you play on the internet, when you play on your phone, Listen, you can get away with it, but you're not working for a human. Do you you hear that? You're working as unto the Lord. That's why Paul says in 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. For you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Listen, God promises that he will dismantle the injustice in the end. It's not your job to do that. It's not your job to fight your unjust boss. Okay, as the first and foremost, that's your ambition. Your ambition is to serve Christ in your workplace under authority. Verse Chapter four, verse one. Our last one, masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So now we're gonna talk about Bosses, employers, uh, Rick Nyhoff, come up and chat with us. He likes to chat. Um, So tell us where you work and what you do.
5: Well, I work at a place called Young Dental Manufacturing. We uh, make dental hygiene tools for dentistry. Um, I uh, manage a machine shop and hand assembly area where we machine the products, send it to hand assembly. They assemble it. Uh, we pack it. Send it to dentist and hygienist. Um, that's what I do. Um, how how do you try to live out this passage in
0: as a boss?
5: Well, you know, you said calling, and sometimes um, calling's a tough word. Um, I know that my job is um, was given to me uh, by God. And it's really, really, really hard um, to do. But, you know, in Colossians, it says, um, close yourself. Um, be watchful. Be a prayer. And, and that's what I've tried to do. I didn't start off doing that, to tell you the truth. Um, but it's really, really involving into my, I don't like to say employees, my coworkers, uh, lives. I I invest my whole life in my coworkers. Um, sometimes uh, my wife says I too much uh, and forget her, and that's be a husband thing. But um, I I help financially. I help guidance. Um, uh, my employees um, are uh, I don't like to say employees. My coworkers um, are uh, very important to me. Um, I try to put on that, um, that face every morning when I go into the uh, building because I know that I am watched. I am a Christian. I represent God. I know that I have a duty to do uh, for him. Um, it's really, really hard. Um, but I think with his guidance and his, his um, pushing me, um, it really has worked out well. Um, a few examples, um, I uh, invested in this one gentleman um, financially, guidance, uh, and I had to fire him. I fired him, and it was an hour he left the building, he called me and um, said, I'm sorry, things didn't work out, I appreciate all you've done, and um, um, my girlfriend's pregnant, and you know, come to my wedding, and this whole thing, um, it's really, really... Um, inspiring when that happens. It's a lot of work to get to that point, but and I had to fire another gentleman, but I still talk to him daily. Um, I still talk to him a lot. Um, it's really um, hard, but it's such a blessing to um, to be there. But you have to clothe yourself, be watchful, and and prayer. That's what what makes it.
2: Thank you.
0: Um, human authority is one of those tricky things because we're so, um, we have the propensity to abuse what we have. We have the tendency to abuse the authority that we have out of a, of a sinful heart. And, and in Paul's day, masters had the power of life and death. And oftentimes, I think, even for those of you that are in this place and you are in a place of authority in your workplace, you have people under you, you have the authority of life and death. Okay, I know you're like, well, I can't really kill them even though I'd want to. Um, But listen, you have the authority to absolutely destroy them or encourage them and build them up and see that you're investing in them as someone who you want to minister the gospel to them. You have that power and that authority. We lose sight of that structure because bosses, like, we're not the top. And And I manage, I help manage, and, like, there's some people that, like, they're just... Not cut out, and like you, you know how to be gracious to them. You know what I'm saying? Um, but that's still the calling. That's the calling for those that are in authority. But listen, the text says, knowing you also have a master in heaven. So those of you in a place of authority, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, maybe you're self-employed, you're not the boss. You have a boss that you should be hearing from and listening to. So I want to ask you these questions. Do you dominate your your employees? Do you belittle them? Or do you build them up and seek to encourage them? Do you pay them fairly? For those of you that maybe have some say in that, do you give them breaks and give them relief and give them an opportunity? Or do you see them as machines that are just to get your work done rather than people that are created in the image Of God, for you also have a master in heaven. Listen, every single one of these relationships is a calling on our lives to embody and embrace the gospel. And so I want to encourage you as we begin to move into a time of response to think about how is it you can walk in humility? Maybe it's confessing to your wife. You haven't led her well. Maybe it's confessing to your husband that you haven't submitted well. Maybe it's going to your parents and saying, I'm I apologize for like I want to do this better. Maybe it's going to an employee and modeling repentance to someone who doesn't know Jesus. There's nothing more difficult but yet fantastic than that. What's God saying to you? And how will you respond to it? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the practicality of what we just walked through. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit and enable us to walk in your ways. God, we need your help. We're not very good at these things, but you empower us and you equip us and you enable us to do what you've called us to do. Thank you for your word in Christ's name.